The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? That we can come to a place on the Lord's Day and hear not the word of men, but the word of God. All week long, we hear the opinions of men and women, fallible creatures, finite creatures with limited understanding. And on the Lord's Day, we can come and hear the word of our infinite and personal God speak to us with His infallible perfection. So asking the Holy Spirit to be with us, let's turn in His word this morning to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. Now we will focus our attention on Hebrews 5 through, uh, 12, 5 through 11, but in order to get the sense of the passage, we'll begin today with verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand, the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which you have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment... All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let's ask God to bless his word this morning. Our Heavenly Father, now help us to block out all things that concern us or cause us to be brought down. And help us to focus on your word, which is life itself. In your steadfast love now, use your word and the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth. And may they be acceptable in your sight. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Do you know what a Volkswagen rabbit is? Now, it's not an exotic animal at a zoo. Volkswagen Rabbit is an automobile. And it's an automobile that I was fortunate or unfortunate enough to actually own many years ago for many years. Now, Volkswagen Rabbits require a lot of tender, loving care. At least mine did, which meant that I often found myself in the Volkswagen dealership. 
And on this particular Saturday morning, that's exactly where I was as my Volkswagen Rabbit was getting tender, loving care from the mechanic. And I turned to the man next to me in the waiting room who was there for the same reason and found out that his name was Jeff, and, and lo and behold, he was a stockbroker, a financial advisor, fi financial planner. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. Jeff, tell me, with your knowledge, what's the stock market going to do in the next year? And I'll never forget his answer. I know exactly what the stock market's going to do in the next year. Really? What? And he said, I can tell you with 100% accuracy exactly what the stock market's going to do. It's either going to go up or it's going to go down. What a great answer. Now, in the prophetic spirit of Jeff today, I say to you, I know exactly what's going to happen in your life in 2018. We've got six or seven months to go, and I can tell you with 100% certainty exactly what's going to happen. Your life is either going to go up or it's going to go down. And it will probably do both. In 2018, you're going to have successes. And you're going to have failures. Some things are going to go right for you this year. And some things are going to go wrong. There's going to be prosperity in your life. You're going to have days that are sunny, that are happy, and you wish would last forever. But you're also going to have days that are cloudy and rainy and sad and that you hope will end as soon as possible. But one thing that we can say for certain about every person in this room is that whatever that day brings and whatever up or down you happen to be on, God will be there, and he will never forsake you. God will sustain you with the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And God will discipline you. God will discipline you, and he will discipline me. Now, how do we know that? We know that because in verses 5 through 11 in our text today, in every single verse, the writer to the Hebrews says, God will discipline us. God will discipline you. It is for discipline in verse 7 that we have to endure. One thing is certain in our lives, and that is that God will discipline us. Now, the writer to the Hebrews knew that his audience needed to hear this because his audience were Hebrew Christians, people who had converted from Judaism to New Testament Christianity and who believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. Only it wasn't going the way that they thought it would. Things were bad. They were suffering. They were going through hard times. They were being persecuted, and they did not understand why. And so they were discouraged. They were depressed. We might even call it spiritual depression. They were despondent, and they were thinking about giving up. And so, in the same way, we become downcast when we do not understand why God is dealing with us the way that he is and how to interpret circumstances in our lives. And so the writer to the Hebrews brings them back to certain fundamental truths. And he tells us that God will train us through discipline. And he tells us five things about that training about that discipline that he wants us to know so we can avoid the traps and the dangers of depression, 
of despondency, of discouragement, and so that we can maintain our walk with the Lord in joy, in victory, and in hope. Now, the first thing that the Apostle tells us about discipline is the reason for discipline. God disciplines us. He says it in every verse. Why does he do it? It's absolutely certain, but why is it certain? Well, he says, it's certain for a reason. Did you catch the reason? It's certain because you and I, if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, are children of God. Look at verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Then he quotes from Proverbs chapter 3. My son, not my neighbor, not my fellow citizen, my son. For the Lord disciplines, verse 6, the one he loves and chastises whom? Every son, every daughter, every child in his family whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Now, isn't it amazing how often we say we believe something, but we don't have a clue, really, as to what we really believe? That happens so often. It happened to these Hebrews. They had been taught that. They had been taught all about Well, what do we call it? They had been taught the doctrine of adoption. That's what is the foundation of the whole passage. It's the doctrine of adoption. Does theology matter? Yes, it does. And if we understand the doctrine of adoption, it will go a long way to helping us live the Christian life with joy and peace. What happens? Well, in verse 5, he says, you forget. Roger, you forgot again. I know you can quote the doctrine of adoption, Roger, but you've forgotten it all over again. Well, what is it? What is it that we believe? Well, let's turn to one description of it, which is excellent, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which teaches what we believe. What is adoption? Adoption is an act of God's free grace in and for His only Son, Jesus Christ, whereby all those that are justified are received into the number of His children, have His name put upon them, the Spirit of His Son given to them, the Spirit of adoption, are under His fatherly care and dispensations, admitted to all the liberties and privileges of the sons of God, made heirs of the promises and fellow heirs with Christ in glory. Now that's the doctrine of adoption. What does it teach? It teaches, as John says in John 1, to all who did receive him, who believed in the name of Jesus Christ, he gave the right to become children of God. We were by nature what? We were not by nature children of God. We were by nature, says Paul, children of wrath, children of darkness. Our father was the devil. But God, says Paul, in love, predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of His will, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that He might redeem those who are under the law. Why? What's the whole purpose of redemption? That we might receive the adoption of sons. Do you believe that this morning? If you believe that this morning, then you have five glorious Privileges. What are the privileges of adoption? Well, we have special relation to God as Father, and we are His children. 
We have the Holy Spirit given to us, as we heard read and we just mentioned, the spirit of adoption to dwell in our hearts and teach us to pray. We have the title, deed to eternal glory as a fellow heir of Jesus Christ, our elder brother. And we have the right to all the promises of God in this life. What do we have the right to? We have the right to God's care of us every day. We have the right to God's protection of us every day from our enemies, spiritual and otherwise. We have been given by God His power to keep us safe unto the end and to receive us in glory. And we have been granted the right and the privilege of being disciplined by our Heavenly Father. And that's the part that we tend to forget. Now, this word discipline is very interesting. What does that mean? Well, literally, it's very simple. The Greek word is very graphic. It means to train a child. The root word is a child. And it means to train a child. Now, how do you train a child? Well, you train a child through instruction. This is what I want you to do. You train a child through correction. That's not what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. You train a child through admonition and rebuke. Johnny, no. I said no. You train a child by structure. This is when you get up. This is when you go to bed. This is what I want you to do. And... You train a child by bringing pain into that child's life. We call that stress. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to be very shocking. Parents are the greatest stress machine in the world. These are evil people. Someone should... Stop them from doing this. But parents, as part of their job description, bring stress into the child's life, and they do it not by accident, but on purpose. Roger, it's time to get up for school! (laughs) Just one more hour, please! Oh, and Roger... Make your bed before you come down for breakfast? What drives these people? (laughs) And then they keep it up. You come home and they haven't forgotten. It's time to do your homework, Roger. Stress, stress, stress. But you see, it's even worse than that. There's this general stress that parents do when they're training children. Why do they train children? So they can grow up and be mature adults. So there's this general stress, but then it gets worse. There's this special stress. Now, I didn't find out about this special stress until I was in pre-adolescence, junior high school, things like that. Then I found out there's more. Seventh grade, eighth grade. Mom, Dad, Saturday night, can I go to Bill's house? No. What do you mean, no? Everybody's going there. Are Bill's parents home? I don't know. What difference does that make? No. Everybody else gets to go. Why can't I go? And then here it comes. You know what's coming next. Roger, what's your last name? Beardmore. That's right. Because you're a Beardmore, you're not going. But what about that? We don't care about them. We only care about one person. That's you. And you're not going. Because we sense danger there, and we love you in a special way. 
and we are going to discipline you either by not letting you go or if you try to go in another way. This is what parents do. And this is what our Lord is saying we signed up for when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. We came into God's family and He's going to treat us in a special way as His children. And you saw that in the verses 8 and 9, both positively and negatively. Look at your earthly parents. They treated you in a special way with discipline. And if they had not done it, what would that have said about you? You weren't part of the family. But being in part of the family, that's what happens. Well, what about the Lord Jesus Christ? He was without sin. Right. Turn back two pages to Hebrews chapter 5. A few pages. Hebrews chapter 5. And look at what the Lord says about His own beloved Son. Hebrews 5, beginning with verse 5. Hebrews 5, 5. So also Christ did not exalt Himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by Him who said to Him, You are My Son. Today I have begotten you. And He says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of His flesh, Jesus lived on earth as God's beloved Son. Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death. And He was heard because of His reverence. Although He was a son, He learned obedience through what He suffered. Looking unto Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. The reason for discipline is because we are the children of God. But now the apostle goes further. Let's look at the motives for discipline. What is it exactly that is driving God to bring certain things into our lives? Well, you'll notice the apostle unpacks this. First of all, God disciplines us because He loves us. Do you see that in verse 6? For the Lord disciplines the one He hates, the one He's against, the one He wants to make miserable. No. He disciplines us because, in the words of Jeremiah, He has loved us with an everlasting love. His motive in all that He does in our lives is love. Love for us. Romans 8.37 In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Paul says, The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Second, God also does what He does, as you will see in verse 10, for our own good. Look at verse 10. For they disciplined us, these earthly parents, for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good. When God brings something into our lives, that stress, that difficulty... That pain that we've been talking about, and we will look at further in a moment, He is doing it not to make us miserable. He's doing it not to make us worse, not to tempt us to sin, not to drag us down. He's doing it for our good, the goodness of God. But then thirdly, God is doing it to make us holy. And this is what we've sung about today in our worship. Look at verse 10 and 11. God does this. He disciplines us for our good. Why? That we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. There it is. Holiness to those who have been trained by it. In other words... 
God is determined to sanctify us, whether we want to be sanctified or not. This is the fundamental principle. Ephesians chapter 1. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Why were we elected? That we should be holy and blameless before Him. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4. This is the will of God for you. Your sanctification. Now it may come as a shock, but God's main purpose for us is not to make us happy. Now that's got to sink in. Because I know my main purpose for me is to be happy. Unless I'm walking with the Lord and then I understand that His main purpose for me and you is not first to make us happy. It's to make us holy. Because we cannot be holy or happy unless we are first holy. What the writer is really saying is this. All of salvation is a work of God from start to finish. And He's got His ways of producing it. Much that happens to us is to be explained by that fact. God is going to bring us into that condition of holiness and nothing's going to stop our coming into that condition. He will produce righteousness in us He will conform us to the image of His own Son so that we might enjoy Him forever in glory. And nothing is going to stop it. What God has started in us, He's going to bring to the finish in Christ Jesus. And He's going to do it in every day and in every way, no matter what. Now, Let's talk for a moment about God's methods of discipline. How does God do this? Because the the writer here focuses on that. He brings this out. How does God work in us these things? Well, of course, first of all, he does it through instruction. Now, the writer to the Hebrews has been instructing them on the great doctrines and the principles of the Christian life. This is who you are. This is who God is. This is who Jesus Christ is. This is the will of God for your life. And that's how parents instruct their children. But guess what? We always don't learn what we need to learn through instruction. So God brings circumstances into our lives to teach us. Lord, I want to be humble. You can't learn humility from a book. You can learn about the importance of it. You can learn what it looks like. Lord, show me a humble person. We can see by example what a humble person looks like, talks like, and acts like. But there is only one way to learn humility, brethren, and that's to be humiliated. That's to be humbled. It's to be embarrassed. It's to be brought down and brought low. There's no other way to do it. And so God brings into our lives circumstances of all kinds. Remember, nothing happens to us by accident. The Bible says our Heavenly Father knows every hair on your head, even those among us who don't have very many. That means God knows everything. He's watching over everything. In everything, He's working for our good and our holiness. So God will bring, in verse 11, painful experiences. It seems painful, He says. God will bring into our lives pleasant experiences and unpleasant circumstances. Verse 6, the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises. There is chastisement. There are conditions, according to verse 7, that have to be endured. It is for discipline that you have to endure. We can't learn it from a book. Now, what are some of these circumstances? Well, there are circumstances of loss. Financial loss. 
Someone loses his or her job. Loss of money. Loss of housing. Loss of the social status that comes with those things. There is loss of health. Now we all know about this. God, this is difficult. God's will for our sanctification is more important than our bodies. God wants what is good for me more than I want to be free of bodily pain. Now, to deny that is simply to deny the Bible. There are those who teach that it is never God's will that you would be weak or sick. That is not true. And we have Hebrews chapter 12, if nothing else, as proof to that effect. God will sometimes put us on our backs in order to see our faces. And sometimes God will allow these things indirectly by permission or bring them directly into our lives by decree. Now, this is all through the New Testament. You remember, this was what the problem was in the Corinthian church. God said, some of you are weak and some of you have even gone to sleep. In other words, he has taken them to heaven. They've died. God brought that into their congregation because they needed to learn certain things that God believed they would not learn any other way. Now, of course, the classic example in the New Testament is the Apostle Paul. If there was ever anyone who was holy enough never to be sick, it was Paul. But you all know Paul's story. He talks about it in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. God had permitted a thorn in the flesh, a physical ailment that we do not understand. Nobody really knows what it was, but we know this, that it was painful and that it was very humiliating. You could see it. It embarrassed Paul. Some think for that reason it was epilepsy or or seizures. We don't know. But whatever it was, Paul really suffered. And he said, I besought God three times that it would be removed. This, This messenger of Satan. God allowed Satan to do that to him. And Paul said the answer each time was no, because in your weakness... My grace will be proved sufficient. Sometimes it's through health and ill health. But there are other circumstances. Sometimes God will discipline us through failure. All you overachievers in the audience, don't raise your hands. But you're part of the club that I founded, I think. And do you know what God needs to teach us? He needs to teach us what it's like to fail. And so God will bring failure into our lives. God will bring failed relationships. God will bring failed ambition. Have you ever experienced, I want that promotion so bad I can take it, taste it, and I know I'm the guy for it. Didn't get it. Closed door. Have you ever had that happen? Can you express the disappointment that you felt in life? Disappointment over dashed hopes. Dashed hopes for a child that you were devoted to, that you invested in, and the child didn't turn out the way that you wanted. Bitter disappointment. Dashed dreams. We all have dreams. And then you get to a certain age and you realize it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Dashed dreams. Failure. Sometimes God will bring opposition into our lives. I'll never forget the story that was told to me by a young youth minister who entered the ministry with great enthusiasm and he started serving the youth in the church. There was kind of a revival going on. People were coming to Christ and the parents started to complain. And they went to the pastor and the pastoral staff. And they came to this young minister and said, you've got to stop it. 
We're not, we, don't want, we don't need any trouble in this church. And he said, then I realized, oh yes, Lord, this is what I signed up for. And that's what the Hebrew Christians were going through who read these words. They were being persecuted and they were really struggling with it. Sometimes God will bring into our lives circumstances in which he withdraws the sense of his presence. Now, Job, of course, is the classic example of loss and all of the things that come with that, but that wasn't Job's main struggle, if you remember. His main struggle was that God wouldn't answer his prayers. He said in in chapter 23, I go to the east, and he's not there. I go to the west, and he's not there. If I could only find him. God had withdrawn the sense of his presence from Job. And sometimes he will do that with a believer. He will hide his face. Hosea said that God was doing that in the days of Israel to bring them to repentance. God said, I'm going to leave them. I am going to withdraw the sense of my presence, and then maybe they will sense their need for me and come back to me. But whatever it is, remember. Remember again why God is doing this. He's doing it out of a love for us, for our good, and to produce in us the fruits of holiness. Now let's go to number four. What are those fruits? What results is God expecting to see? Why does he do this? What's the end game? Look at verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What does that mean? Well, I had an example of that, I think, this very week, driving I-26 to work. In the dark, as I always do. You've got to get in there before the traffic really hits. But even at that hour, the traffic's unbelievable on I-26. And I'm driving, white-knuckled, seeing people weave in and out in front of me, knowing it's all going to end. And, and this week, I had one of those moments. Have you ever had one of these moments where all of a sudden, a parent's words come back to you? Now, I don't know who taught you how to drive, but my father was the one who taught me how to drive. So there I am, 16 years old, in the driver's seat with Dad next door on the passenger seat. Roger, some do a stop at the stop sign. No rolling stop signs. Roger, when you start the engine, don't hit the gas pedal. Let the oil pressure build up. All of these messages from my teacher. But there was one above all else, and it it just came. When I was out on I-75 as a 16-year-old, my dad said, you see that? You see that? Did you see what he just did? Do you see the guy up there who's weaving in and out? Don't do that. He's going to kill himself. He's going to kill somebody else. Pick a lane and stay in it. Pick a lane and stay in it. Pick a lane and stay in it. Like a mantra. And there I am, Wednesday morning, crack of dawn, pitch black, I-26, watching this. And all I could hear was, pick a lane and stay in it. Pick a lane and stay in it. And I picked a lane and stayed in it. I arrived alive. That's weird. Fifty years later, that training, that discipline, was producing what? The peaceful fruit of safe driving. Grandparents. Grandparents. Any grandparents here? We, We have 
many grandchildren, Anna and I do, but we were watching video of, of two grandchildren, two little girls, ages seven and nine, in a swimming meet. They're little fish. And, and their mother sent us the, you know, the, the live stream or whatever. We were watching it. Now, I ask you, grandparents, what's going through your mind? Well, I can tell you what's not going through your mind. Win! That's not what grandparents do. No, what went through my mind as I saw that was, isn't that great? Isn't that great? There they are, you know, sputtering, you know, half drowning, wet, dragging themselves out of the pool. Why am I doing this? And all I could think of was, way to go, girls. Because you see, all that discipline and all that training and all that pain is going to produce a skill that you can use when you're 60 and 70 and 80 to promote your health for the rest of your life. That's what God we talked before about humility and how God promotes it. Remember Paul. Paul said, why, Lord? Why do I have to be humiliated like this with this physical ailment that everybody looks at me and says, oh, poor Paul. Why, Lord? Well, God said, in your case, Paul, I have given you certain privileges that nobody else has. I've taken you to the third heaven. But you know what the danger is? The danger of spiritual pride. That is a terrible danger. I know what the doctrine of adoption is. Do you? I'm smarter than you. You know, it's a dangerous thing to know all about Reformed theology. It's a dangerous thing. Why, you'll think you're smarter than the elders. Read a few books. Listen to a few tapes. You'll think you're smarter than the pastor. That's very dangerous. Knowledge puffs up. So you know what God will do as a son? He will bring you down. He will bring you down. One way or another. Because you've got to learn the danger of spiritual pride. How about the danger of self-confidence? Thinking, I can do it without God. This is very prevalent, isn't it, at certain times of life? Sometimes it happens imperceptibly. During times of relocation and moving. Have you ever had that happen? You know, you move and you're occupied with 101 things. The new job, the new schools for the kids, the house. You're just occupied with all these things. What are you forgetting? You're forgetting the Lord. What about the church? Where's the church that we're going to attend? Where's the Christian fellowship we're going to seek out? And so a family, a couple, a single person can go six months, can go a year, and completely forget to plug in to the body of Christ. I can do this on my own. God says, no, you can't. And so I'm going to bring circumstances into your lives that are going to bring you to the point where you know you can do nothing without me. And that's why God does what he does. How about this? The danger of attraction to the world. It's ways of thinking. It's ways of behaving. It's value system. It's so subtle. The television, the media, it's so subtle. So God will break your computer if he has to. He'll break your television. He'll break your smartphone. So you won't become addicted to all that. And you'll have to look people in the face and actually have a real relationship. That's what God does. How about this? The danger of coasting in the Christian life. Are we not all? Guilty of that. Resting on our oars. I'm on cruise control spiritually. I'm good. I am really good. I'm walking with the Lord. I am coasting in the Christian life. We're good. 
And so we don't seek God like we need to every day. And so in His infinite love, He disciplines us to the point of bringing us back again to Him. Well, let's go to the last point that he's making, which is perhaps the most important of all. What are we supposed to do in light of all of this? What is the response to discipline that God is looking for from us, his children? Well, you'll notice in verse 5, he lists two negative responses. Don't do this. So we can look at them and then turn that around to their positive counterparts. Notice what he says. Two dangers. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. What does that mean? It means when a child blows off a parent. We know what that is. How could my mother know? She's like 45 and was never a teenager. Don't listen. And we don't take it seriously. Yeah, I know, Dad. Yeah, keep to the left or keep to the right, keep to the right, top of the stop sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, take it seriously. We take it lightly. We pay no attention to it. And so the first step as sons and daughters of the Lord, is to become aware that God is active in my life. Believe it. Today, He is. Tomorrow, He will be. Watch for it on Tuesday. It's coming on Wednesday. Yeah, it's going to be there on Thursday. God doesn't take vacations. He doesn't take any days off. And the first step is becoming aware of who I am in God's hands and that he is indeed moving. So that when things begin to happen to me that may not be happening to others, how come that they are going through that? Well, I wonder why I am. And so we look ourselves in the mirror and we say, Lord, I'm taking this seriously. I'm paying attention. What do you want to teach me? That's the first step. Second step, you'll notice. Second half of the verse 5. Nor be weary... When we reproved by him. That's interesting. Watch people at work when they're corrected. What do we do? We become sullen. The temptation is to become resentful. Or to give up. You can't please this boss. And we just give up. And that's what the Hebrews were in danger of doing. Becoming weary and giving up. So the first thing after we become aware is to determine by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, I am going to keep going. I am not going to give up. Everything within me wants to quit. I am not going to give up. Look at what it says in verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to give up. No, keep going. Keep going. And as we do, trust in God, who is plentiful in love and compassion and mercy. And then lastly, as we are going, as we are submitting, and as we are trusting, let us see his loving hand in it and be grateful. I want to read you something. If you have quickly a moment, turn to Psalm 119, for this is so powerful. Psalm 119, um, I'm going to start reading, but I want you to look at verse 67. Psalm 119, verse 67, where you're going to see a progression of how the psalmist deals with his response to God's discipline. Look at verse 67. He says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. That's step one. Okay, Lord, I was heading this way. I was a wayward son. You brought me back through those difficult circumstances. Now I obey. I acknowledge the results. But then he goes on. There's a progression. Look at verse 71. 
It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The first is the bronze medal. This is the silver medal. How many of us can look back at difficult times when we know now that God was dealing with us, very difficult, and say, you know what? It was good. It was good for me. That's hard. That's really hard. That's the silver medal of response. But what's the gold medal? Go further and look at 75, verse 75. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. I'm going to justify God. I'm going to praise his name. He has done it not out of harshness, not out of cruelty, but he's done it out of love and faithfulness. It was good for me. It produced the right results. But now I am going to bless my Heavenly Father and thank Him all my days for how He has cared for me, how He has protected me, and how He has trained me in righteousness. Looking always to Jesus. who for the joy that was set before him learned obedience through the things that he suffered, endured the cross, despised the shame, and now sits at the right hand of the throne of God, and he's waiting for you, and he's waiting for me. And he will get us there, and he will make us holy according to his promise. Our Heavenly Father, we want your care and protection. We want your provision. But we have difficulty with your training methods. We want your holiness. We wish there could be another way. But no, Lord, not our will, but your will be done. Give us that spirit of submission, the spirit of awareness, the spirit of gratitude and the spirit of trust that these things that will come and they will come are tokens of your love and you will draw us to yourself through them. For Jesus' sake we pray.